Welcome to episode number 59 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Buddy Pegs, a family adventure media company celebrating cycling. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash buddy to learn more. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host today. I believe if you desire a truly fulfilling life, both personally and professionally, then you must be willing to find a connection with people outside of your everyday circle of influence which is why I created the Jackson Hole Connection Podcast. The reason I enjoy recording this podcast so much is I have the opportunity to speak to so many people with fantastic stories to share. Today's episode is certainly special in that way because Danny was born and raised here in Jackson Hole and he's the fifth generation from his family to live in the valley. Danny's family history sounds like something out of a fictional story, which is why you really need to listen to this episode to believe how his roots started in Jackson Hole and how his family acquired the Shervin name. Danny will guide us from his family beginnings to growing up here in Jackson Hole with plenty of shenanigans to current day being an artist who lights gunpowder on fire for a living. You might need to listen to this episode twice just to make sure you heard Danny's story correctly. Danny, awesome having you here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I was super stoked when you accepted my invitation to be a guest here on the Jackson Hole Connection. Absolutely. So, Danny Shervin, paint with gunpowder. That's right. You light stuff, you burn stuff for a living. <laughs> yep, now I do. Now you do. <laughs> So tell me, what is your connection to Jackson Hole? So I was born and raised in Jackson. Nah, yeah. nobody was born here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, actually am uh, fifth generation Jackson. So my, what would it be? My uh, dad, my grandpa, my great grandpa, my great great grandfather homesteaded here back in the late 1800s. And your wife is what generation? She's even she's deeper than I am. She's sixth generation Jackson, and uh, she's related to all the Mays. The uh, the Molden Barn is her extended extended family. Um, so yeah, she's got a lot of history here. Yeah. So that Molden Barn that's probably one of the most photographed barns yeah. in the country. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Not the world. Okay. All right. We'll give it that icon. Uh, I'm, I'm calling it. Yep. We're calling it the most photographed barn in the world, the Molten Barn. If you disagree, then get in touch with us. Yeah. Leave a comment. For that, that's right. <laughs> Indeed. And so what brought your grandfather here? No, your great, great, great grandfather. So he, uh, it's super cool story. He, uh, I think he came here, he was a teenager, and he came here by himself. But uh, prior to that, he was living down in Colorado. Their family was living in Colorado, and he was a trapper and just an outdoor guy. But they uh, they had a homestead in the middle of nowhere, 20 miles from the nearest um, civilization. But he was out one day with uh, one of his buddies, and they were trapping. They, they had found some signs of grizzly um, in the area that they were in. And so they built a trap to try to trap these grizzlies and in particular the biggest one and uh he uh they built this trap and it was just basically a giant bunker built out of logs and stuff that had a big trap door on it and they went back and checked it and they had caught they had trapped a grizzly in this thing and it must have been the cub because it was in his story that he wrote um 
it was the smaller of the of the bunch but so they went to look for the big one and uh was coming up this creek bottom um in the thick stuff and ended up getting attacked um by the big one and they're assuming it was probably the mother and attacked him luckily his buddy heard him and came running and shot the bear and but it took forever to kill the bear and it was on top of him and it ended up ripping his face i mean almost ripping his face off and just crazy and you know i think he was 15 or something at the time and he uh so they ended up having to go back to their homestead which you know they were miles and miles and miles away from the homestead and got back to the homestead and then they had to get to where they were at they had to get a sleigh um, a team of horses to pull a sleigh 20 miles from the nearest town to come pick him up and then he had to get on the railroad to, to go to you know what was considered a real hospital back then and by the time he you know he got to the hospital and they had told him that you know he probably wouldn't make it through the night so they just they worked on him best they could and then left him and and he woke up the next day and you know and he lived through it which is insane and when he got back home he was so messed up that his own mom didn't even recognize him Hmm. at all but so anyway he he uh ended up traveling from colorado up this way um just following you know trails and stuff i mean there were no roads or anything back then um and especially around here, no vehicles and nothing. No. And uh, so he ended up uh, coming through what's now Tobity Pass. Uh, there was Indian trails through there and a uh, bunch of hunting guides and stuff that, that lived in the area and trappers. And he just would stay with them on his way and, and made it here by himself when he was a teenager. I mean, it's, it's a crazy story. With half a face. Imagine, yeah, with half a face. <laughs> and it's amazing. I mean, I couldn't imagine a teenager. I When I was a teenager, I... <laughs> I don't know if I could have done that. I don't think when my kids are teenagers, I'm letting them go trap grizzlies. Yeah. Or go travel through the woods on their own. No. That's crazy. But, yeah, that's how he ended up here. And his last name was not Shervin. No, it was Hedrick. Okay. Um, Charlie Hedrick. And there's their homestead, where he homesteaded, um, is now Grand Teton National Park. They got bought out by Rockefellers when he came in and started the park. But so they moved down to the Jackson area. Yeah. but uh, there's some ponds. I don't know exactly where the homestead is. I've kind of been pointed in a general direction, but there's some ponds on your way up to up to the park that are called the Hedrick Ponds. Um, so I imagine it had to be right in there somewhere, but not positive. That's cool. Yeah. And you were telling me one time that your grandmother, Barb Shervin, mm-hmm. That she had, where did she grow up? She was born and raised in Big Piney. Okay. So I don't, you know, think about that. She was born in the 30s in Big Piney. You know, there's not a lot there now. And there's probably far less in the 30s. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, pretty interesting. Um, she was part of the Decker family. And there's still a few of those around. Me. But uh, yeah, Big Piney, Wyoming. And beautiful place. There were some maybe mystery murders that. Yeah, I don't know place. the story exactly. <laughs> I need to look it up and get some more info, but... Well, not everything's documented. Yeah, not, it's not all documented. It's Especially murders. Story. I don't know. My dad was telling me about it and, and some of the family stuff that my dad's cousin's putting together right now has some mentions of it. But, uh, yeah, apparently on somebody, my great-great-grandmother or great-grandmother, somebody, she ended up killing a guy over a cow, supposedly. 
you know. And this is when they were living here up in Spread Creek or somewhere. They had a homestead up there. And apparently he was a young guy, so nobody really, you know, he wasn't that missed. Um, but back then, you know, there's not a lot going on. And, uh, yeah, she ended up killing him and then made her daughter bury him in the corral. And and uh, her daughter, she, she kept, made her daughter stay quiet her whole life, and her daughter hated her. And on her deathbed, her daughter just ripped into her and was just furious with her because she made her keep that secret for so long. And apparently she told some people, and that's kind of how the story got out. But I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I bet there's a lot of little stories. I don't know, <laughs> but I, whether it's your family or not, I think there's. I bet out here there's a lot of little stories like that yeah. where oh, there certainly could be. If you went digging up in Grand Teton National yeah. Park and you found bones, it's most not likely not Native American bones. Yeah, yeah, possibly not. Yeah, <laughs> because somebody yeah. ticked another person off, and yeah. next thing you know, a gun was fired or a knife was, yeah. you know, sure. drawn and. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, I don't know. And it, yeah, my uh, on the Sherbin side, what's interesting is the Sherbin name isn't even that old. It's probably four generations, and apparently, my grandpa's dad is the one that took on the Sherbin name, um, and he got it from a trapper that he was living with. Hmm. And he, so, I mean, the story is that he was an outlaw or something, running running from the police, and ended up up here in Wyoming and stayed with this trap, lived with this trapper, and this trapper um, had the name Shervin. Mm-hmm. And they don't even think that the trapper's real name was Shervin either. <laughs> I, can't, I mean, you go back and Google Shervin and you won't find anything on any Shervins, huh. you know. And so, it's, yeah, it's crazy. So I, I got a bunch of outlaws and murderers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I feel safe sitting here interviewing you right now. <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't get those traits. <laughs> yeah, don't pass those down to the kids. Yeah. And so, being born and raised here, were you born in the current hospital or the yeah. old hospital? St. John's. Okay. Yeah. Where it is now, not like the old building where it's the log cabin. Uh, no. No. Where it's at now. Okay. Was your dad born in here? Yeah. Yeah. Born here. My grandpa was born here. Yeah. So your grandfather was probably born in the old cabin. So yeah, he. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, if not at home. Uh huh. You know. Sure. True. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly where he was born. At. So what was it like growing up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Growing up here was awesome. We. Uh, I mean, back when I was a kid, it was it was a tiny, tiny town, and it was cool because everybody knew everybody and. You know, it seemed like the, I mean, I mean, we have a great town now too. Don't get me wrong. For sure. But there's a lot of faces I don't know anymore. Um, but growing up back then, you know, everybody knew everybody, you know, super sense of community. But, uh, you know, it was awesome. I mean, I remember, and this isn't even that long ago, but when I was a kid and my grandpa had a, had a service station, um, and it was on the north end of town. He decided to move south of town where it's at now, where Shervin's is at by Kmart there. And when he moved it, and this was probably back in the 80s, he moved it down there, and everybody asked him why he was moving out of town. <laughs> station out of town. And there was nothing out there. It was hayfields all the way up to the Virginian, I think. And I remember riding snow machines out there. And I think the only other development out there was uh, Crabtree. No kidding. Lane over there. Huh. Other than that, none of you know, there were no roads. There was nothing out there. So it was awesome. 
And I just remember, you know, just in town too, just running around town and, you know, it was, it was wild. There was nothing out there. East That's Jackson wasn't developed. I mean, you know, just houses, just few houses here and there. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And do you have a story that you recollect that uh, you, something you did when you were a kid that you probably wouldn't be able to get away with in today's world? Yeah, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> cars, um, you know, stuff. I, it, it's funny, growing up here, you know, I got several buddies that were born and raised here, and, and uh, you know, you grew up with the same people, the same people in town, so everybody knew you. Everyone knew who your kids were, and, and uh, so we kind of got lucky one time. We, we decided... And this was, oh gosh, probably 15, 20 years ago. But we decided to uh, climb Snow King, and then we got the hill climb. Um, and we figured, yeah, that'd be fun. We never entered the hill climb, but we thought, oh, we might as well just try to climb it <laughs> with our snow machines. We got this. And, uh, and so we did, and we had uh, one of my buddies, Coulter, had his grandpa, uh, Norris Brown, was in on it with us. And uh, he led us drop our sleds off in his yard which he lives over there um on snoking avenue um which you guys have probably all seen the big decorated christmas tree um uh, during that time that's where he lived but uh so he he let us start there and we snow machine through town to the base of snoking um and we were sitting there getting ready to go and this was still during ski season so there were people skiing and there was a couple ski patrollers in line and they we waited for them to sit down on the chair and start going up and then we took off <laughs> <laughs> and headed up middle of the day uh, yeah middle of the okay. day okay I mean, yeah, not smart don't try this at home <laughs> but uh took off got up there original plan was to hit the first cat track and then take the cat track up that plan got squashed and my two buddies just decided to go straight up the hill so i followed them and we went up barely made it barely made it got over over the top took off out leaks parked our sleds in the barn thought oh yeah we made it we got away with it about five minutes later coulter's grandpa norris calls us and apparently the cops had followed our tracks from the base of Snow King back to his house. So they knew exactly where we started from. <laughs> Norris, be, being an awesome old man that he was, didn't give us up. He told the cops, he said, hey, I know who they are. I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'll call them. <laughs> they got to so get them to call you. Because <laughs> they'd have probably figured it out sooner or later. So that he called us and told us we should probably get a hold of the <laughs> get a hold of the police. And so we did. And they they brought us into. We had to go back to Snoking to the to one of the offices there, and we had to meet with the prosecuting attorney and all kinds of folks from the town. And and uh, they let us have it pretty good. And they. Uh, you know they threatened us well they didn't threaten us but they kind of outlined you know here's here's what would happen it, it, you got criminal trespassing endangerment um you know and it was like you're in jail thousand dollar fine for each case and they you know they were saying for every skier on the hill and i don't know how many people were skiing but you know so it was stupid it was scary but uh just because of who we are or who we were and that, you know we knew everybody sitting in that room and so, you know, they, they uh, made us hike from the bottom to the top to fill in our ruts and, you know, of course reprimanded us, but, you know, we kind of got away with it just because of that fact. 
So, you know, things like that. And you wouldn't get away with any of that stuff in Jackson now. And you probably shouldn't. (laughs) stupid. You you might have gotten away with it in some ways, but in other ways you didn't. Because you were called out and you guys... Yeah, we we got caught. You got caught. caught. And you guys took ownership of it versus saying, oh, that couldn't have been our kids. And no, unless you can absolutely prove it, which happens in today's world. Oh, yeah. That, no, I'm not going to let my kids get in trouble. Your parents said, all right, face... Face the Reaper here and totally. and see what happens. Yeah. And that's what that's what Norris did. He's like, you might, you probably should just give these guys a call. <laughs> and that's honor. And so, yeah. Which you wish there was greater honor in in the world today. Yeah, so certainly. To and we have to teach our kids. Yeah. You know, you do something wrong, you admit to it, yep. and you learn from it. Yeah, we're doing we're doing that right yeah. now with our four year old. He's we're we're. Teaching them how to be a truth teller. Uh-huh. <laughs> little kids <love> it. <laughs> it's interesting with little kids what is truth and not truth, and it's just okay to say that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, he'll beat on his sister. Hey, what? Okay, what happened? What'd you do? Did you push her down? Nope. <laughs> like I saw. <laughs> that was a test. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty amazing for sure. So. Now, being an adult, married, kids, you have, how long have you been painting with gunpowder? So I started, like first, when I first got into it, or first discovered it, I guess, um, was probably back in 2003, 2004, something like that, about 15 years ago. And uh, one night in college, late, late at night, of course, you know, all the best ideas come, you know, at two in the morning after you've... I had a few adult sodas <laughs> <laughs> and uh we were trying to make rockets and you know homemade homemade uh fireworks is a nice way to put it but uh we ended up spilling a bunch of gunpowder on our on our kitchen table and so i just laid it out into a big pattern into a tree and burned it into the table and uh it worked great and i've always been into art and i've always painted and, and been drawing forever since i was a little kid and so um but it worked and it stayed there and it was there forever. I was like, man, this is pretty cool. And then after that, I didn't do anything with it. I mean, the starving artist thing, I, I was going to school for finance and economics. So um, didn't do a whole lot with it after that. And then uh, after I got out of school, um, I started playing around with it again just to see if I could actually create some cool art with it. And, uh, you know, so I've probably been doing it professionally for six to eight years something like that um but i'm actually full-time art since last september so what medium do you do this on uh oh like what uh surface yeah so i've done it it works great on canvas works great on wood panel um laminate like uh the stuff you would see on kitchen cabinets or old old countertops or something um Works great, um, but it kind of depends with the canvas. It can be a little testy because that stuff is flammable. I've burned several pieces down just using the wrong gunpowder, because there's tons of different gunpowder and they all burn different different heat, different rates. Um, so it's you know it took a long time to kind of figure that out. But yeah, I would imagine you burned through a few canvases. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> almost burned my table down. Almost. <laughs> 
Honey, burn burn the table again. Yeah. We need to go get another one at Habitat. You got the fire department on speed dial, yeah. along with a few fire extinguishers sitting very close by. Yeah. So um, part of your process is videoing mm-hmm. what you do. Yeah. And give an idea of the time frame it takes to set things up before you actually light it and then create that video yeah so it uh it probably takes on my, my setup is super simple it's just i screwed a tripod into the ceiling above my table and then i just use my phone to film it with um and uh but it probably takes i mean it, it just depends on the piece and how big it is the detail um i've had some pieces take three hours i've had some that take 80 hours um and that's just film time and so there's all the other time in between you know looking at it studying it you know things like that planning the next moves but so all in all to get a piece done yeah i don't know it's kind of depends why does it take 80 hours so the piece i did that one was um it was a gin bottle for this company in ireland it was a gin company out of ireland that commissioned their actual bottle and label mm-hmm. and their label is insane it's got chinese lettering on it it's got i mean it, the, the amount of lettering on this thing is insane so i was it was basically calligraphy with gunpowder and you know it was on canvas and so the surface is rough and so you know that stuff pushing it around it's bouncing all over the place um but yeah it was just super time consuming it took you know maybe an hour to do four or five letters it was crazy whoa yeah insane and so do you burn it gradually or do you just get it all set up and then boom it's burned all at once that's kind of the fresh you know the kind of the frustrating part of what i do is that you know for a piece like that it'll sit there and i don't glue anything down it's Mm -hmm. all sitting there free so i can so i can move it around um but you know for those types of pieces i leave them sitting there for you know, two weeks mm-hmm. as I work on them. And I've had pieces before that were almost done and I've dropped brushes on the canvas. Oh. You know, wind blows through the studio and just blows the gunpowder right off the canvas or, you know, just you drop a brush and it just sends vibrations through the whole thing and it's all ruined. Snaps. And, uh, yeah, that's frustrating. I tell <sighs> that. But yeah, it's kind of fun though, but I have to work with it that way. It has, it has to be that way because it's got to be malleable, kind of like, working with clay or something uh-huh. is what kind of why I like it. Cause you can always keep working it and pushing it around and moving it, you know, versus painting or something, or you'd have to paint over it or add more layers or, um, you know, so it's a little different. But. How did you find out that this was a viable profession in the world of art? So when I first started doing it, um, I had, I just Googled looking for people that were using gunpowder as a, as a medium. And I couldn't find anybody. I found one guy in China, um, which they invented gunpowder, so they might as well use it for art. But he's phenomenal. But he does massive, massive um, big mural stuff, super abstract stuff, and it's really cool. Um, and he's using a different type of powder than I am, and I'm not exactly sure what his process is, but but uh, it's pretty cool. And he was the only one I could find. And so when I first started doing it, I made a couple videos um and my wife's brother sean he does seo and online marketing and all, all kinds of different stuff stuff that i know nothing about and he uploaded a couple of videos and they they took off they had i don't know 14 15 million views in like a week's time 
Yeah, your videos have had 14 to 15 million views in one week's time when yeah. he started. Yeah, the first couple, first three, four videos we put out. That's insane. That. And so it was crazy, and it took off. And I, because of that, it's really opened up the opportunity for me to be able to do this full time. Um, but I've had some awesome experiences um, doing work for you know different companies. Um, I did a piece for. The Mission Impossible movie that came out um, was it last year, this spring? Um, you know, for some of their marketing, I've done work for BF Goodrich and Sailor Jerry at the Harley Davidson Museum. Uh, so a lot of cool stuff and a lot of live event stuff, which is awesome. Um, you know, this the artists kind of like a performance art as well as fine art. Um, you know, so it's cool. But how do you manage that doing it at live? doing it live yeah so i'll just i'll take canvas with me um and uh take the gunpowder i need mm -hmm. and get set up and typically i'll set up you know three or four hours before the event um and get to work on it and then do the piece and get it close to when they time you know whenever they want to burn it for their event um i'll have most of it set up by the time the event starts and then you know i can talk to people and they can watch watch the process as I do it mm -hmm. and uh, yeah and then I just light it on fire at the event so people can see it and and that cool. what amount of time does that last when you light it on fire actual burn yeah um, I'll bet on average it's about two minutes huh so it burns relatively controlled okay um, and it's kind of like dominoes it just you light it on one side and it burns through the piece yeah so it's cool and so people are paying you to travel through out the country mm -hmm. to yeah. go create these pieces yeah. of artwork and and the video is part of what they get as well isn't it yeah so yeah so for the for the art side if i'm just doing it in my studio um yeah i'll produce a whole video for it uh -huh. and, you know the whole process and that's part of the deal you, you get the video um along with the art piece and, and people like that i've had several several clients that you know either take the video and put it on a screen um and hang it on the wall next to the piece or um, you know so it's kind of cool i got a little display thing that's awesome yeah, so when you're doing this can you do different colors so you can't you know you can't really do the resulting thing the resulting image is just carbon mm -hmm. so you can't it's hard to get anything burned that that is a different color um you can color flame. I mean, I've got some powders that burn different colors. Um, some burn pink, some are orange. But uh, I'm trying to figure out right now how to get green flame. Mm -hmm. And I've tried everything from borax to copper sulfate, but so far nothing's really working. So it's, I don't know, I gotta keep playing around. But yeah, there's ways to add some color, but I'm gonna start adding some color to my pieces because all my pieces, for the most part, have just been you know the burned image the carbon mm -hmm. over, which i kind of like it's cool contrast especially on canvas just the white and the dark but i'm gonna start adding color and i've got a few things that i'm gonna try some cool bombs and things like that but nice so we're gonna take a quick break from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back danny do you know what a freedom machine is do you remember the enjoyment and confidence riding a bike gave you when was the last time you rode your bike well, the fun folks over at Buddy Pegs Media can answer all of these questions. 
They are building children's confidence and connecting families in this digital age through books, podcasts, and learn-to-ride classes. The Buddy Pegs family are creating healthier lifestyles for families and helping children be more successful through the power of the bicycle. Check them out today at thejacksonholeconnection.com slash buddy. Danny, welcome back. Thank you for, for being here. And we were just talking about your your business, Paint with Gunpowder. And so being a dad, entrepreneur, what was it like to decide, I'm going to do this and pull the plug and it's and go out on my own? Yeah, it's pretty scary. I... I, uh, well, and part of my problem is I am uh, super committed to things and I hate, I'm not very good at change. And, you know, I'd been working for First Interstate for 12 years. Mm -hmm. You know, and I love working there. They were awesome people, awesome customers. Great job. But, uh, you know, I just, it was so nerve wracking because the art had been doing so well for so many years just because of the exposure that I got. and I was doing artwork, you know, every night when I got home from work, I'd work, do artwork from, you know, six o'clock till midnight. And then every weekend I was doing artwork just to keep up. And so for a couple of years, I contemplated, you know, doing it full time. But yeah, we had kids, two kids and everything else. And it was just nerve wracking. And finally one day I just did it and pulled the trigger. And my wife always kept giving me crap because I'd never do it. And, uh, and then I did, yeah. Now, now it's even more nerve-wracking. Oh, I bet it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and where do you see you going with paint with gunpowder? You know, it, right now, I mean, where, where things are at right now is pretty good. But I, I certainly like to get a little more exposure, especially in the fine art world. Um, and uh, kind of pursue more of that side. Um, but the live stuff, I, I love doing the live event stuff. Uh-huh. And if I could, if I could do one a week or you know one every couple of weeks and travel around and do my art, I think that would be awesome. Yeah, somebody, lots of people need to pay you first class tickets. Right. Two of them, yep. you and Jenny go yep. all over the world. That's right. Yeah, we had one event. We, Your mom will stay with the kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's good at that. Luckily, all of our families are around here, so that makes it super easy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. And you were telling me earlier that you have something coming up for Disney. Yeah, I'm working on. Well, hopefully it'll work out, but it's um, it'll be uh, some promotional stuff for um, Maleficent. I think is what it's called, right? No idea. Angelina Jolie. Um, anyway, got me. I am not in the world of movies and knowing what's happening. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's cool, and they they want Green Fire. Um, so that's kind of why I'm working on Green Fire right now. But um, yeah, so. I'll, see what I can put together, but it'll be for some promotional stuff, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's cool. And for your videos, they're all, are a lot of these on your website? Yeah, for them, I've got a bunch on the website, but if all, all the current stuff is going to be on the Facebook page and Instagram, mm-hmm. you know, the website kind of just has the, well, it's got all kinds of stuff on there. I mean, you can go check it out. And, um, but yeah, for the most current up-to-date stuff, I post everything on on social media. So. so you told me one time that you don't have internet at your house. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, how we, do you uh, post all this? 
<laughs> so my wife and I, when we built our house, this was probably seven years ago, eight years ago. We, uh, yeah, we didn't run uh, anything for internet or cable, so we don't have TV or internet at home, and uh, which I love. Um, you know, we thought we'd miss it, but haven't missed it since. Yeah, especially with two kids, they don't sit in front of the TV every day, and they know no different. You know, they know no different. Mm-hmm. Awesome. But, uh, yeah, so whenever I do, I film everything on the phone, and then Jenny takes it. She does my videos for me. She does all the editing. Uh-huh. I do it, but she takes it over to her parents' house, which we, we, we built a house on their property, so we're, you know, about 200 yard, or 100 yards from her parents' house. Okay. <laughs> so it's easy. So she runs over there, and, and we'll put the videos together and then post them from that side. So, yeah, that's how we do it. Awesome. Improvised. <laughs> you, that's the benefit of having parents no close by, <laughs> right next door. There's not many people that you come across in today's world that say, we're not going to have TV and cable and internet at our house. Yep. Good for you guys. Yeah. No, we love it. We do a lot more reading, a lot, you know, the art. I work on art without, you know. Go down the studio instead of sitting in front of the TV and watch football or something. Yeah. I know I would. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Just like in college. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I do a lot more reading and things like that, so it's great. I love it. And what was it like when growing up here in Jackson, um, you know, learning about some of this, these things that would become practical so here you're probably sitting in this in your house in in college and you've you've got bullets you've got the gunpowder and what's the practical side of when you grew up here in this area i mean using guns and 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 having the access to gunpowder because me growing up i we didn't have gunpowder sitting around or yeah. anything. Yeah, no, when I was growing up, we had gunpowder all over. My dad, he always was reloading his own ammo. I mean, we grew up in a hunting family. We all, you know, we all hunted. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and back then, I mean, heck, when my grandpa was a kid, you know, that's how everybody ate everybody in town, you know. You go kill a bunch of elk, and then people come grab them and stock their freezers. And so we've always been hunting, grew up hunting. We had gunpowder laying around all the time, so I'm really familiar with it. Um but yeah, just at the time, I'd never thought of using it for art, and mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, very practical. I mean, and I still hunt today, and there's no better, no better organic meat than wild game meat. True. Yeah. You, know? you a grizzly hunter? No. Like your great great grandfather? Yeah, I guess. Talking about it. I mean, apparently we do. Yeah. They're talking about it. They are on the conversation. Yeah. What do you prefer to go hunt for? Uh, mostly mule deer, elk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got an antelope tag this year, so pumped about that. Those are hard to draw sometimes. Well, for me, I'm just unlucky. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, elk. I mean, I primarily, for, you know, if I'm going to stock the freezer, I'd get an elk, cow, elk, cow, uh-huh. spike. Interesting how just a few generations ago, people out here solely relied on on harvesting those animals oh, yeah. to survive yeah, no doubt about it to where now it's a much different i mean we just go to the grocery store mm-hmm. and it's become more of an economic driver during the hunting season yeah, well, for sure. with the people coming out here to go hunting yeah. i mean people are paying a lot of money to go hunting out here with a guide oh yeah yeah i mean if you go i mean you go online and look up most, most states 
you know, if you're going with a good guy, it could cost you anywhere from five, six thousand dollars mm-hmm. to get a guided hunt like that. And uh, yeah, it's big business, and there's, a, you know, there's a pretty good hunting community out there across the West, that, and all over the country. Um, you know, it's, it's a big deal. A lot of a lot of tradition in it, I think, too. Sure. You know, people grow up doing it, want to share it with their kids, and you know, and that's the great thing I love about hunting and hunters is that for the most part, you know, we're massive conservationists mm-hmm. because we want to see those animals survive for generations. We want them to be around forever. And so the amount of money that hunters spend all goes back into wildlife management, you know, and things like that. So I, you know, it, it's, it's a good thing that, that hunters are doing too. Do you think, do you think a lot of people understand that aspect of people that do hunt the conservation? So sometimes. it exists for them. Sometimes they do. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of hard, strong opinions on hunting. I think there's hard, strong opinions on any topic that you find. Yeah. It's, it's just the way it is. So you'll be raising your kids to go out hunting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Passing on. And why raise, why did you and Jenny want to raise your kids here in Jackson? You know, we, we had thought about it when we first got together about looking for other places to live, but I just couldn't, I I don't know. I'm trapped here, Mm -hmm. Trapped, but I love it here. And I love Wyoming. I mean, I can live in Pinedale. There's all kinds of places that that I love around here. Big Piney. Um, Yeah, Big Piney. I think Big Piney's awesome. Um, But, uh, you know, we just, just the family history and and, uh, the amount of family we still have here, you know, it just made sense. And and we want our kids to be able to experience Jackson all the way we did. Mm -hmm. And it's different, but there's a lot about our community that is awesome. Oh, absolutely. Or that, yeah. uh, you know, Jenny runs the farmer's market here and the support in the community, especially for old bills. And she's been tied into all kinds of nonprofits over the years. Um, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely incredible. We do have a very special community and I feel blessed to be able to raise my kids here in this town because mm-hmm. it's just so tight, yeah. I feel. And, and there's always great places to be, yeah. great places to live. But when you are really involved in the community, you get a stronger sense of what community's like yep. versus being in a big city. And, and yeah, things have changed. Things are going to always change. Yeah. That's just the, that's part of the deal. That's you gotta, you gotta the life change, cycle. you got to change to grow. Sure. Absolutely. What are some of the books you said that you read a lot? Oh, man, I love... So, the, well, I'm reading this book for the second or third time, um, Undaunted Courage. Mm-hmm. Awesome book. What's that about? Um, it's a Lewis and Clark story, and uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, look it up if you haven't. The first part reads kind of like a textbook, Uh huh. Um, but it's all super interesting stuff. But then it gets into the journals, you know, Clark's journals and Lewis's journals going across no man's land back in the day and it's crazy you read those stories and you know all those guys everybody on their on in their group were in their 20s mm-hmm. young people you know going on this massive exploratory mission to find a water passageway you know through the northern part of our country it's crazy but it's cool it's awesome check that out and then i love like the joe pickett series um it's about a game warden in Wyoming. Uh, I love those, and like I read all the Walt Longmire books; those are good. I like those kinds of stories too. But 
nonfiction is kind of the history stuff is awesome to me. I love that stuff. That's great. Especially about Wyoming and the West and we got a cool history. This state's got a cool history. Yeah. I'm glad to call it home. Yeah. <laughs> me too. So any words of wisdom to leave people with? Oh man, I tell you what. You know, there, there's one thing I learned kind of just in my short little lifespan is, uh, you know, life's a little too short to worry about things. And, and I've always kind of grew up in the, in the household I grew up with. Everything was super positive. You know, we always had a super loving family, super supportive, but, uh, you know, always happy. And the, and the thing is, you, you can't, life's too short to worry about things and, and be unhappy. You know, being happy is a choice in my mind. And... I think a lot of people just kind of go through through life, you know, not not realizing that or not being able to being able to control that. And part of the, part of my leaving the bank and things like that were kind of derived from that mindset. I was like, all right, you know what? Let's let's try something that I really love doing and mm-hmm. and go for it. Good for you, man. And so, and then yeah, and another lesson I learned is you know, I had a brother that passed away when he was eighteen, and. Uh, from that moment on, it was kind of like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna live, live for him, um, and do stuff that makes me, makes me happy, and and really try. So, I don't know. Yeah, let his motivate you. Let his memory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his his memory in his life lives on in you and your your other brother, yeah, no doubt about it. and and AJ and the rest of the family. And yeah. that's awesome that you're inspired and you didn't let that bring you down. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can't. You know, it, it, I always think like, you know what. If he was still here and saw saw me, you know, laying in the gutter, being depressed, mm-hmm. he'd be pissed. <laughs> Probably kick you in your butt. <laughs> That's right. You know, so yeah, you can't let that can't let that get you down. You got to turn it into a positive. That's right. You know. Good for you, Danny. And thanks for the. It's those small, little, simple words that can make the difference in somebody's life. And and just following those. Yeah. It's not complicated. It yeah. doesn't have to be complicated. It have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to control that sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. things you, th- you think are super complicated and will get at you. But that's right. That's right. Yeah. So if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way they can connect with you, Danny? Um, so the best way to connect is probably email, um, which is info at paintwithgunpowder.com. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you can go on any of the social media pages. Um, Instagram is paintwithgunpowder. I think Facebook is the same thing. Um, you know, and you can comment or instant messaging through that. And if anybody wants to paint with gunpowder, do your research first. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely do Don't get out there and just start opening up some bullets or buying a big old bag of gunpowder yeah. and lighting that on fire. Yeah, Are you regulated? Uh, no, because you're know. buying gunpowder. No, you no. can buy. You can buy, especially in the West and in most of these states around here, you can buy gunpowder at Sportsman's Warehouse or anywhere. Some drug used to have it forever, and I, they may still have it. I used to buy it there, mm-hmm. but now I order it. You know. Um, Amazon. You're a dealer, and, yeah, and you can get, you know, I buy like 32 pounds at a time. So, cool. A ton of it. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Well, Danny, thank you for coming in today. Yeah, absolutely. This, this has been awesome. You bet. Take care, man. Yeah, you too. To learn more about Danny and paint with gunpowder, please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 59. I do love hearing from my listeners and subscribers. So if you have feedback or suggestions, send me an email. Connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. Please visit my friends over at buddypegs.com. Check them out. See what's going on over there. At their website, 
and all their classes and download their podcasts. I could not create this podcast without the support of my lovely wife, Laura, my editor, Michael Mori, my musical director, Luke Taylor, and my marketing guru, Tana Hoffman. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection.